now let's talk to a guy who had a falling out with mainstream media, just like I did, and started his own network, just like I did. Hey, it's Rick Sanchez. Rick, of course, has been on CNN, Fox News, NBC News, Univision, and iHeartRadio. He was a legend in Miami, the biggest anchor there by a country mile. He had his—he was the first Latino ever to have his a show named after him on cable news. Yeah. Rick's list on CNN. Then he went and started this this huge company. And now he's got a podcast network that's the Agua Media Podcast Network that he's the president and CEO of. So that's a lot of things you've done, Rick. How are you, brother? Great, great to see you, Jenk. You are, you know what? Based on the description that you just gave, I guess I stand on your shoulders, brother. Well, I don't know about that, but we're standing shoulder to shoulder right here. We're both in Miami at the same time. We've done a lot of similar things. All right, so before we get to your new podcasting network, which I love, sure. You tell us two things because the big things that people might remember you for, obviously CNN. Um, So you have fond memories of CNN, bad memories of CNN. What's your takeaway from your time on cable news? Well, I mean, I I think there could have been a little more forgiving. I think I made a mistake. I wish I hadn't made a mistake. I think we all make mistakes in our lives. And when I look back on that experience, that was a pretty cool thing that we were doing. I mean, we we were the first show to come around. First of all, here you got this beaner, right? You got this Hispanic guy. You got this Oye. You got a guy who speaks English as his second language on television. We are 20% of the population of the United States. And for the first time in our history, finally one of us was doing a newscast on CNN. That was pretty cool. Now, you know, there's a certain immaturity to a person like me because you know, I didn't. I grew up with parents who never made more than ten thousand dollars a year combined income. So it's not like I we had a family lawyer or a PR department. In many ways, I used to you know step on myself sometimes because I didn't know what I was doing. And the experience at CNN was cool because maybe because of that, maybe because of that, maybe because I I I wasn't strategic. I just went out there and I did a really cool newscast. With a bunch of really cool, fun people, and we broke all kinds of you know metrics in terms of doing things. Like we were the first ones who actually started using social media on TV, and and it went over very well. And this dude named John Klein, who was the president of the company at the time, called me in one day and he says, "You now have established the highest non-white ratings in the history of this network. Nobody's ever done what you guys are doing now with Rick's List." So that was really, really cool. And I always felt like I was fighting for the little guy because I am a little guy. That's all so, I've ever been. So, yeah, so 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 that's the good stuff, right? Yeah. So Rick, um it, it is now that I've thought about it, it's startling how similar we are. Um so when I was uh, at uh, MSNBC in their six o'clock hour, um I was the only person that ever beat Fox News in any rating uh, demo. I beat him in eighteen thirty four. Um, and so uh, I had the younger viewers, you had the non-white viewers, uh, and uh, and they didn't like what I said either. So I have, a, I have a, and by the way, I'm also, English is also my second language. Um, so, but um, you know, I have a conspiracy theory about why uh, CNN fired. Okay, now I don't know generally like conspiracy theories. I don't believe in any of them except, come on, JFK was not shot by the Oswald. <laughs> okay, so. Um, but uh, it it wasn't what they said, 
it was a couple of weeks before that that you did a segment about money in politics. And I remember mm-hmm. covering it on the Young Turks going, oh my God, I've never seen that on cable news. He's talking about the donors of the politicians, never seen it. Oh boy, he's gonna be in trouble. Mm-hmm. And then like a couple of weeks later, you're fired. Okay, so what do you think about my conspiracy theory? No, listen, um, I was ignorantly, and that's an interesting choice of words, by the way, I'm gonna go with it. Um, or maybe innocently uh, challenging some of the things, um, some of the normalcies that most people would never challenge. And and I think there's like these unwritten rules that the Rachel Maddows and the Anderson Coopers and the um, you know others in this biz, cable news business know that I didn't. So I went after whatever I thought was interesting. And yeah, I I talked about our foreign policy being an absolute unmitigated disaster. I went after politicians and told people on the air exactly who they were taking money from, how much money they were taking from whom, and then how they voted in response to the money they took. I was doing the kind of segments that a lot of people didn't normally do. And I was being kind of fed these segments because I was very much into the whole, at the time, social media really meant something. It was a democratizing force. And I was you know, being spoon fed great stuff from people who were really smart. And then I would turn around and use it on the air. And the powers that be, the elders of CNN didn't like that. They didn't like my using social media. They thought I was, um, who the hell is this guy? And why is he making these decisions? And why is he putting people on the air? And I and I and I could sense all along that there were a lot of people at the higher ranks of CNN, the ivory towers, so to speak, that didn't like me and were looking for me to give them a reason to bounce me. And eventually, I guess I did or they did, and that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Oh, I know because see, people don't know this. One last thing before we get to your podcast network, because there's some great shows on there. I'm genuinely curious about them. Okay. So, um, so what did you do after CNN? Because you kind of hit it big. Yeah, I did. I know. Um, I, I founded a 4.4 billion dollar healthcare company, and uh, I came to South Florida, and I learned. And there's a lesson here for all of us. That whatever skills you have are transferable and we all are capable of remaking ourselves. If we're ever cast in the situation where we have to stretch ourselves by digging deep into what it is that we have. I always thought I was just a dumbass guy who went to journalism school and learned to be an anchor and then learned to read a teleprompter and learned to be pretty good at thinking and talking on TV and all that kind of stuff. And I'm a pretty good writer and producer. And that's all I thought I knew. But then all of a sudden, when nobody would hire me and CBS told me, no, you're tainted, we can't touch you. And NBC said the same thing and ABC said the same thing. And everybody said the same thing. They said, you're never gonna work in this industry again, you're finished. So I had to go and teach school at my kid's school and um, I got a radio gig working at the local radio station here in South Florida, WIOD. And then I got a job doing a television program in Spanish, which, you know, and I put all that together and I went in my closet late at night and I cried a lot and wondered why this was happening. Cause I didn't want my kids to know I was going through a real tough time. But what that taught me was that I had a brand. And if the big guys at the networks didn't want them, it's okay because at at some level, somebody thought that my brand was important. In fact, because CNN fired me, a lot of people thought I was more curious and more important. 
So I learned branding, I learned advertising, and I learned that my brand, Rick Sanchez, should not be just given to a radio station, that I should find a business. And then I can do the marketing and the branding and the messaging and find some people who know the other part of the business. And this happened to be medicine. And together, we built a healthcare company, which in five and a half years, because of some of this triangulation branding that I came up with, which is kind of a long explanation. But if anybody ever wants to know about it, you know, check it out. Go to Rick Sanchez News, my podcast, or find me or call Jenk. He's got my phone number. <laughs> um, and yeah, it 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 I learned that you can build a company, and that's what we did. I built a television show. I went to a radio station. I went to a television station. I said, give me half of your avails. That's all I need, and I'll work for free. I work for free, and in five and a half years, we went from a clinic essentially with like 80 patients to now having 300,000 patients around the United States. And we're the fastest growing, serving the underserved, helping people who normally would not get good health care. And we're a 4.4 billion dollar publicly traded company. Pretty cool. <laughs> That's amazing. That's just look. Oh, We dropped out. Did I lose? I lost. I lost the Skype connection. Yeah. Sorry. Um, That's okay. Rick, you can still see me now. Back. I got you. Yeah. Okay. I see you, so, but your but your your face is frozen. Yeah. So Asher, we're almost done with the interview. Well, we got to ask him a couple more questions. But what do we do here? Do you want to restart the call, or can we just go? Yeah, if you guys want to restart it just to make sure and then match it. Yeah. Asher, we can't hear you. Because right now you're frozen, Jank. All right. Um, so let's hang up and then we'll um and I'll call you all back. Okay. All right. Great. Okay. okay. Easy. All right, waiting on Jake. Okay, yep, sounds good. Right. We, here we go. All right, let's do it. So I All think right. I just told you through my, took you through my story about Cano yep. Health, and then I said uh, pretty cool. Yeah. You were about to talk, and then you froze. Yeah. So I don't know okay. what you said after that. Okay, so Asher, you want to? Well, what were we on a split screen? Uh, yeah. So we'll just start with with you. Uh, you're single, and then if you want to just ask the question, and, and we'll go from there. Okay, I got you. So I know exactly where I was. So cool. pick up with me now. Yes. All right, here we go. That's amazing. I'm not sure that anyone has handled being canceled better than you have. <laughs> Thanks, man. That's I mean, nice. It was actually probably the best thing that ever happened to you. Jesus. Um, so God bless on that. All right, Rick, tell me about the podcasting network. Tell me something about so about your show and other shows. <laughs> Well, you know, it almost has something to do with what we were just talking about. I mean, you know, I believe in God, and I believe that when you're blessed the way I was, um, I went from the depths of despair to suddenly, you know, being a somewhat wealthy person. 
I could have taken a couple of different paths, and one of them would have been to just disappear and never look back, and you know, get a yacht and and do those islands in the Bahamas that you and I are very familiar with. And that doesn't mean I don't enjoy getting on a boat and going fishing once in a while because it's a lot of fun. But I I told my wife I said this is our opportunity to do something important. So I decided, you know, when I when that happened that I wanted to at least create something that gives a voice to those who have been too far too often voiceless in this country. So I created along with Saul Trujillo, uh, my mentor, a great man, um, um, this Agua Media. And, and Agua Media is basically a, a, a media outlet for 20% of the population who I believe still and will argue is horribly underserved. We're 20% of the population of the United States, Latinos in America are. We are the third fastest growing GDP in the world ahead of the United States itself. Only behind China and India as a fastest growing GDP. If the United States, if Latinos in America were a, were a country, they would be the third fastest growing economy in the world. I mean, wow. Latinos are so misunderstood. They think we all just got here last week. They think that we're all sitting around watching Telemundo, telenovelas and Univision. When in actuality, 80% of us are US citizens and 95% of Latinos in the United States speak English under the age of 41. I could go on and on, but this is a very important story that doesn't seem to be told. It's not told by Hollywood, it's not told by the media, it's not told by the left, it's not told by the right. So I think it's time to tell it. So I'm kind of going to put my money where my mouth is and I'm going to try and tell this story. And that's why Agua Media lives because we yeah. need this voice, you know? No, that, that's so true. And as I was reading more about it, I, I thought, yeah, that, I mean, there's no reason for this to not, it's crazy that it doesn't exist already. Boom, and you saw that. So Julissa is a, uh, someone who's been on our shows before. Uh, she's doing a show that really struck me on the network is like, yeah, wait a minute, celebrating amazing Latinos in American history. That, that I'm not sure I've ever seen that anywhere. There are so many stories about who we are, are it's, it's amazing. You know, Ulyssa will remind you as well that in many ways, the Texas Rangers are no different than the KKK. I'm sorry to say, at least historically. And that, uh, you know, one very important thing, and I'll leave you with this, Jenk. Latinos got here like 60 years before Plymouth Rock, right? I mean, in St. Augustine, they celebrated Thanksgiving in 1560. And that's not to say, oh, we were here for, you know, it's just that it's important stuff. We should know that we are a part of the fabric of America, Latinos are. And oftentimes people I don't think understand that. And that's all we wanna say. Yeah, and there's, there's so many different shows on the podcasting network. It's also about Latino celebrities and stars and athletes. And you got Rick Sanchez news on there and it's it's totally desperately needed. And and of course, Rick's point is right. I mean, I, right wingers amuse me to Noah and Tucker Carlson saying that no Americans invented tacos and it's our food and, <laughs> and then like Los Angeles. Yeah, I wonder what that means in English. <laughs> Across the board, and and you know what's great, Jenk, and I I gotta thank you for this. I mean, I've been watching your work over the years, and you know, you and I have always been friends, or you know, at least associates in the business. You know, we've always had a chance. It's not like we hang out together all the time. I don't want to leave a misimpression, but you've you've always you've always defended that. You were one of the few people who got it. That debate you did with Tucker, I mean, 
That's amazing. You you said the things that nobody else would say and you told them at the right time and to the right guy. And there's there, there's something to that. And I just want you to know as a Latino, it's not like I speak for all Latinos, but that's appreciated, dude. It really, really is. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Rick. That's really, really nice of you to say. All right, everybody, you gotta check out Agua Media and Rick Sanchez News. You guys are gonna love it. Rick, thank you for coming on again. We appreciate it, brother. Let's do it again. I love talking to you, Jenk. You're a good friend, and I really appreciate it. All right. All right. Absolutely. God bless. All right. Donald Trump's, of course, back in the news. He always, always in the news, never leaves. And there's someone who's turned evidence against him. It's not Michael Cohen. This time it's Alan Weisselberg. But Michael Cohen does join us, his former lawyer and his former fixer. Uh, talk to us about it. Michael is also the host of Mea Culpa, that's his hit podcast. Uh, and uh, he wrote a book earlier called Disloyal, a memoir. That was a New York Times bestseller. He's got a new one coming out called Revenge, how Donald Trump Revenge. weaponized the US Department of Justice against his critics. Uh, and uh, that is also very timely given the discussion of Department of Justice. Yeah, talk about being prescient, right, Zenk? I mean, yeah. this is exactly what Donald Trump does. He turns around and he takes things that he knows is negative to him because he's the one who created the headache. And then he applies it to himself as if he's the victim. That, oh my God, the Biden administration, the Democrats are weaponizing the Justice Department to go against him. But this is your show, Seth. So I'm going to let you lead the questions. Yeah. So, no, but that is an excellent point. And, uh, and that's exactly what he did with the term, for example, fake news. Um, so I, I don't have a lot of respect for Donald Trump's uh, IQ, uh, but he is good with marketing. And he took what was uh, a term used against him because his campaign had put out a bunch of literal fake news in the 2016 campaign. And he flipped it on the mainstream media and pretended it was them. And now whenever anybody thinks of fake news, they think of mainstream media. So he has done that a number of times here with the Department of Justice. Boy, is a good timing. I'm gonna come back to that. But Alan Weisselberg's in the news again, as I said in the beginning. And he was the chief financial officer of the Trump organization. And so he did a plea deal where he's gonna get basically 100 days in jail for having cheated in about $2 million of taxes. So Michael. <laughs> Uh, it looks like they're gonna hold him accountable and they're gonna go after the Trump organization. But the Manhattan DA has shown seemingly no interest in going after Trump himself. But what I never understood about his case, and help me understand this if you can, it, and it was the same of your case. Well, who gave the order? Like Weisselberg carried out things at the Trump organization, you carried out things for Donald Trump. But don't you have to prosecute the guy who gave the order at some point? Right, so you may remember in my statement during the sentencing proceeding, I turned around and I stated that what I did, I did at the direction of and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. And with that, I was referring to the Stormy Daniels payment of the 130,000. In fact, I talk about this extensively in Revenge. I was not guilty of tax evasion, misrepresentation to a bank. Those are all lies that were promoted by the Southern District of New York. And again, it goes into the book, Donald Trump weaponizing the Justice Department to go against its critics. 
The case never made sense to anybody except the way that the media started to portray it, starting with the fake story about me being in Prague. You know, on top of that, people always say, yeah, but you also paid Karen McDougal 150000 That's not true either. In fact, David Pecker and the National Enquirer paid. The thing about Alan Weisselberg is that they are going after Alan the same way that they're going to go after Rudy in Georgia. Alan and Rudy and Mark Meadows and so many others are going to join me in the welcome to the under the Trump bus club, because that's what Donald does. He'll throw you under the bus to save himself. And it doesn't make a difference if it's his CFO for 50 years. It doesn't matter if it was his former chief of staff. It doesn't matter if it's his children. It doesn't matter if it's his wife. It doesn't matter who, because Donald Trump doesn't care about anyone or anything other than himself. And everyone to Donald is expendable. And that includes Alan Weisselberg. But I'll tell you, in this case, the judge was very, very smart. He was clever in terms of what he did. So you're right when you said that Alan is looking at five months, which will turn out to be 100 days, despite the fact that it's at Rikers Island, which we all know is just a horrible, horrible place. But 100 days for what he did? Now, that's assuming that he provides testimony to the district attorney's office as it relates to their um, case, the indictment that right now is pending against the Trump organization. If he lies, if he fails to answer the question, and by the way, Allen is known to lie. In fact, you could even Google this. Allen lied to the Southern District of New York in my case when it came to, uh, to uh, Stormy Daniels. He lied to them. The SDNY knew that he was lying. They still used that information when they went to the grand jury and they offered him immunity. So, you know, there's a lot of problems in our Justice Department. Which, of course, Donald is taking advantage of. But Alan, if he lies in this specific case, he's looking at up to 15 years, which would basically you know, be the end of his life. But here's the part I don't understand, Michael. Um, and it's both in your case and the Weisselberg case. But let's start with your case first. Did the prosecutors ever tell you why they never charged your co-conspirator? Because you went to prison for it. You obviously didn't think of the idea on your own. It was Donald Trump who told you to do it. And tell me if I'm wrong about that. So why didn't they ever charge your co-conspirator? Yeah, so they never tell you. In fact, there were, from my understanding, about a dozen sealed indictments at the Southern District of New York, which they elected to allow the time to expire. The statute of limitations expired. And then they decided that there wasn't enough information. Get a load of this. There wasn't enough information in order to charge Donald and the other people that were there in, you know, named in these sealed indictments. Why? I don't know. In fact, the affair with Stormy took place years before I even started working at the Trump organization. What benefit was it to me to pay for this guy's dirty deeds? Well, because my boss told me to do it, plain and simple. Yeah, and so Michael, it's a small organization. So was there anyone other than Donald Trump giving orders to you and Alan Weisselberg? No, so when I first started working for Donald, the deal was I was to be the executive vice president of the Trump organization and special counsel to Donald J. Trump, meaning I answered to no one 
other than Donald. My job, which is something that I even do right now, I started a company called Crisis X. And basically, I do what I had done for Donald. People who have significant crises on their hand that need a full sort of game plan as it relates to law, as it relates to media and strategy, you know, they they bring me in for consult and for advice. So, you know, that's what I did. Everything at the Trump organization, everything in the White House was always done at the direction of, and of course, for the benefit of, and with the full knowledge of Donald J. Trump, plain and simple. So, Michael, um, there's two uh, schools of thought on Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA. Um, one is that he's quietly laying a trap for Trump, and he's going to get Weisselberg to explain what Trump organization did wrong. And then they're going to go, aha, the guy who ran the Trump organization is Trump, and he gave the orders, and, and they're going to go after him. The other school of thought is he's a coward. He's going to convict Trump organization, but leave Donald Trump alone, which will be relatively useless. I'm in the second camp, but you know more than I do. What do you think he's going to do? Is there any chance that Alan Weisselberg will actually be Donald Trump's demise? Okay, so I'm in neither of those camps. I don't want to call Alvin Bragg a coward, though I would have to say I'm probably closer to that camp than I am to the first. They're not laying any traps here. In fact, there were two seasoned attorneys, Mark Pomerantz and Carrie Dunn that resigned. These guys, do you know, Carrie Dunn came and visited me three times while I was in Otisville in order to pull information out of me to open up this matter. The fact that Carrie Dunn, general counsel to the DA's office and Mark Pomerantz, a seasoned vet. I mean, this guy is a seasoned attorney, especially when it comes to RICO. The fact that they resigned in protest to the fact that Alvin Bragg refused to bring indictments against Donald when they said we have him dead to right. We have all the documents, we have all the information, we have now spoken to and we have the testimony of several different people, including right, their own accounting firm. So you have everybody in the, in the mixture here. And, they, and Alvin Bragg still decided that he was not going to bring the charges. Now, again, I don't wanna to make too much out of this nonsense about Weisselberg not flipping on Donald. This is not a case of flipping. This is specifically a case that he's going to have to answer the questions honestly and truthfully. And God help him if he doesn't, rest assured, the guy's going to spend a long time, probably the rest of his natural life behind bars, which I know for a fact because I was there for 13 months and 51 days in solitary confinement. He does not want this. Yeah, Michael, you mentioned in congressional testimony that Trump organization would inflate the assets to get loans from banks and then deflate the asset numbers when reporting taxes. And that's a significant crime. To your knowledge, have prosecutors ever followed up on that particular crime? To my knowledge, no. And that's so, it, it angers me so because I always compare Donald to who? I took to, um, what do you call it, to um, Al Capone. They couldn't get him on racketeering, they couldn't get him on murder, they couldn't get him on extortion. So they got him for what? Tax evasion. They already have the information. They have all the tax returns, they have everything. So why didn't they go after the low hanging fruit? 
I don't know the answer. All I know is that the American people, and I think the people around the world, would be ecstatic to see Donald in a matching orange jumpsuit that matches his complexion. Yeah, um, and it is maddening. I mean, you went to jail because you followed Donald Trump's orders. And then prosecutors refused to prosecute Donald Trump who gave you the orders. And it looks like they're on the way to doing the same thing with Weisselberg. It is weird. No, Just it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same with Weisselberg. That's a whole nother scenario. And I do believe that they're going to get information. They're going to take the entire Trump organization apart. And potentially Donald will get pulled into it. But let's not forget, there's still also the attorney general's case here in New York, which right now, even though it's civil, could easily, easily become criminal. Yeah, all right. So uh, we're going to find out. I mean, if Weisselberg really does give damaging information, they really do Trump uh, charge Trump. That would be amazing, um, and there would finally be accountability. But I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, all prosecutors have ever done is let him skate. Um, so, uh, Michael, one more thing: your your book. Um, right now, ironically, the Republicans and Trump are saying, "I oh, can't believe how politicized the Department yeah. of Justice is." So. Tell us about how Donald Trump politicized the Department of Justice. Yeah, well, we already know that Bill Barr created a memo in order to dispel the Mueller uh, team. He also um, was involved in, in an unconstitutional remand of me back to prison because I wouldn't waive my First Amendment rights and not publish my first book, which became a number one New York Times bestseller, Disloyal. They threw me back in prison for that. Donald Trump figured out that the Justice Department needs a massive overhaul because there's a lot of abuse that goes on there. And these guys all get immunity based upon their job. So he is using that same line, this, the, what he created, the weaponization of the Justice Department to go against his critics, including you may have seen that they're, they're now claiming that the IRS was instructed to go after McCabe and Comey and me. I mean, they charged me with you know, what was it, five counts of tax evasion? I'd never tax evaded. Wait till Sank, you read this book. You will get a completely different understanding of exactly the story, what happened to me. And the, the point I'm trying to make in the book is if this could happen to me, somebody with a microphone, a megaphone, someone who's the personal attorney to the president of the United States, really sitting up there at the height of power, if they could do this to me, just imagine what they could do to you. Interesting. All right, where can people pre-order? So go to revenge-thebook.com. There you can also download for free the forward. I think you'll find it fascinating, and I think it'll change your entire perspective, not just on the Department of Justice, but also exactly how Donald Trump went ahead, weaponized it using a complicit and a willing attorney general, basically to destroy our democracy. All right, Michael Cohen, former attorney for Donald J. Trump, now explaining what he actually does. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Good to see you, my friend.